0: Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Song of Solomon, which is one of the most interesting books of the Bible. And we think that you will find it interesting too. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. morning, turn in your Bibles to the Song of Songs, right in the middle of your Bible, the Song of Songs, chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 14, and then we're actually going to be going all the way to the end of chapter 5 today, so we're covering quite a bit of ground, but uh, we're not going to be reading the whole thing, so it's important if you have your Bibles open to be able to follow along as I cherry-pick and go through the text, okay? Okay. I'll start with this statement. You know, it's easier to be fully committed to Jesus than it is to be halfway committed to Jesus. One person said it, I can't remember who, said that the whole cross is easier to carry than half the cross. It's the reason why many church people struggle in the Christian life, because they're trying to live like the world And look like Jesus, and that doesn't work very well. The Christian life is not meant to be lived halfway. It needs to be lived all the way. I'm either all in or I'm all out. I'm either hot or I'm cold, as Scripture says. And this morning we're going to Talk about like that dynamic in our relationship with Jesus because that's frightening. I don't want to go all in. I mean, I I want to, but at the same time, I don't want to because I'm scared. And there's a fear factor that takes place in our walk with Christ, and that really does inhibit us from going deeper. And so this morning, as we dig into the Song of Songs, we're going to see that that's what we're wrestling with here in this text, in this song. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of ourselves in um, this person here in the Song of Songs. Um, I want to just begin first with our outline so that you know exactly where we're going. Here is where this message is going today. So that way, if you need to leave early, you can, and you've got the whole sermon right there in one picture. So here are the really the five This is the backbone of the message today, okay? Number one is we must embrace what's difficult if we want to grow in relationship with Jesus. Number two, we all want intimacy, but we often settle for less because it's easier. Number three, to enjoy intimacy in my relationships with God, with other people, I must make myself vulnerable, which is terrifying. That's why we often settle. And number four, Jesus made himself vulnerable to us in order to have a covenant relationship with us. He literally allowed us to kill him. He made himself that vulnerable to us. And number five, every command of Jesus is an invitation to go deeper And you will not grow beyond the point of the last invitation that Jesus gave to you. So now we're going to dig into that, okay? That's where we're heading today. Our first point is this. We must embrace what's difficult if we are willing, if we are to grow in our relationship with Jesus, uh, or really in any relationship for that matter. In fact, there's no growth without difficulty, I mean, I I remember when I was in junior high school, I think there was one year where I grew by almost two inches in a year. Every bone in my body hurt, right? I mean, my feet grew actually faster than the rest of my body. So my parents, I'm, I'm walking size 13 shoes in a size 9 body. I was awkward and clumsy. What do we call that? You say, oh, you had growing pains, right? You grow and it is painful, Our three kids, they're all nurses. Our son's a nurse practitioner. The nursing program is grueling. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. That is a horrible program to go through. They have these tests they have to take, and and literally the test is pass-fail, and if you fail the test by a fraction, you're out. Like, the stress level in that program is unbelievable. But you know what? When I'm at a hospital and I need care, I'm really glad that that doctor and that nurse has been through that, aren't you? Like the last thing you want to hear your brain surgeon say is, you know, I've never done one of these before, but I saw it on the YouTube, so let's give it a try. You know, you don't want to ever hear that from your brain surgeon. You, I want to know that person has been through the ringer. I want to know you've been tested, you've been tried, and you sweat, and now you're able. See, now I'll trust you with my brain surgery. Maybe, right? So what's the point? The point is there's no growth without struggle. And this is what we see happening in ancient Israel's experience. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about this study in the Song of Songs is that the Song of Songs mirrors the journey of Israel as much as it mirrors our own spiritual journey. So we see ourselves in this process, and I love it. But in ancient Israel, we noted last week, Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, that God sees them enslaved in Egypt, and they're crying out for help. And we read that God says these wonderful words to Moses. I have seen their misery. I have heard their cries. I am concerned, and I am coming to rescue. Oh, Those are beautiful, powerful words, aren't they? And Israel felt the same way too. They loved it. Here's at the end of Exodus chapter four, verse 30, Moses takes that message to the elders of Israel and he tells it to them and here's how they respond. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Of course they did. That's how we respond when you hear news like this. God is concerned for me Oh, thank the Lord. He's going to rescue me? Yes, thank the Lord. That's how you respond. However, soon it gets hard. Life with God is not easy. And you know, if you're familiar with the story of ancient Israel, Pharaoh finds out about God's desire to set the people free. And Pharaoh does not like losing his workforce. And so Pharaoh takes all the straw, and he says, you need to find your own straw to make your bricks, doesn't he? And how do the Israelites respond to that challenge? They track down Moses. They grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. And in Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, they say, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. Moses, what did you do to us? We were just fine as slaves making our bricks. And you came along and messed it all up. Moses takes his complaint up the chain of command, and goes directly to God himself, and this is what Moses tells God in Exodus 5:22 and 23. Moses says, "Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? You have not rescued your people. At all. I love that. Can you see Moses scratching his head like, God, this does not look like a rescue right here. Like, like, I imagine this going differently than the way this is going right now. You know, God, why are things getting worse? They're not getting better. See, here's the deal. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. We might, we might not be making bricks But it's not long in your journey with Jesus until trouble hits the fan and you begin to wonder, is this what it means to be a Christian? I don't remember signing up for this. See, I I remember signing up for the love, joy, peace, forgiveness, and freedom part. I don't remember signing up for this, right? Coming to Jesus is a dream come true. But here's the deal. When Jesus forgave you, that's the first step. From his perspective, forgiving you is the first step in your relationship. It's a means to an end, and it's not the end in itself. Jesus forgives you because he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. That's where he's going. He wants you to know him and him to know you. So forgiving you is actually not the goal. Jesus forgiving you is a means to the goal. But can I be honest? Most of the time... I really don't want any more than forgiveness. Like most of the time, I'm, I'm just content to have fire insurance, you know. and I come to Jesus like a consumer. And like I treat Jesus like a Walmart. I need freedom, and I need forgiveness, and Jesus offers it, and I take it, thank you very much, and I go on my merry way. Amen. But Jesus is interested in a covenant, He wants more than that. He forgave you in order to have more than that. Does this make sense? However, that's difficult. Because knowing Jesus as my Savior and receiving his forgiveness, well, that costs me nothing. But to have a covenant with Jesus, well, that's going to cost me everything. Eventually, it's a slow process, isn't it? And, and this is the point. This is, comes to the second point, right? We, it's hard, and so we often settle for less. We all want intimacy. We want covenant. We want a friendship that's truly heart-to-heart. But we often settle for less because that's easier. And this tension is actually what we see happening in the Song of Songs through chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. Um, remember uh, last week, we said uh, that, you know, we began with the cry for a kiss and the cry for Jesus to take us away with him. And he does, and this is great. And so last week, we've just begun this relationship. And oh, it's great. But now, now we discover that there is more that Jesus wants. And remember, we're studying this allegorically. And so the, the man in the song represents Jesus. The woman in the song represents believers, represents us OK, and and last week we begin with this. And now and now we think, oh, that's going to be life is wonderful. The, it, it the Song of Songs looks a lot like a chick flick. It follows sort of the same kind of plot line. Like, you know how chick flicks go. They have the same formula, don't they? And I'm almost ashamed to say that I know it. I've seen enough of them to know that the formula goes like this. You have you have beautiful couple who falls in love. And then things are going great. They're having fun. It's beautiful. And then they always hit a snag, don't they? Always there there comes a point about two-thirds into the movie where love gets hard. And you think, oh, it'd be so great if love just wasn't so hard. And you wonder, are they gonna make it? I don't know. I don't know. Break for commercial. And then Voila! Somehow they make it, and they kiss by Christmas, and it's beautiful. Like, that's how it goes, right? So the Song of Songs kind of follows a similar plot line. Last week, we fell in love. This week, we hit the snag. And that's chapter 2, verse 14. So Jesus, so remember, we've asked him to take, him, take us away with him. Jesus, we want to be with you. We just want you. We sang the song, I just want you. That's what we want, okay? Now, Jesus says, you want me? Perfect. I want you. Let's go. Verse 14, chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to us, and he says, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So Jesus calls to us like a dove hidden in the cleft of a mountainside. So, Jesus, so you and I are this timid, shy dove hiding in the cleft of a rock. And Jesus is calling to us, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. I, I want to get close to you, see? And we're timid about that. And Jesus says, catch for us the foxes. You know, foxes, they're a... They're a they're known for being crafty and cunning. They're not obvious. And that's the idea. There are things in our relationship with Jesus that are not obvious, but they're getting in the way of intimacy. And Jesus is like, let's, let's catch those. And we're saying, mm, we're, we're hesitant, see? And so here's a question I, I want to dare you to ask Jesus this morning. Would you accept the dare? Here's the dare. It's this. Jesus... What's standing in the way of you and me getting closer? Because I'm willing to get rid of it. Because you are all I want, and I do not want any barriers in the way. Are you willing to ask Jesus that question? Lord, what is standing in the way of you and me getting closer together? Wait for it. He'll answer that question. And here's how the woman responds in the song, verses 16 and 17. She says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Now, at first, this verse looks like she wants him to come to her. And. In English, it's a little bit challenging. Uh, we miss two things in our English translation that are important to really understanding what she's saying to him. And the first one is the word turn. The word turn in Hebrew means turn away. It's, it's not just turn, it's turn away. So um, she's actually asking him to go away, not come towards, see. And she says, be like a gazelle or like a, a, a deer. In other words, scamper along. Okay? I mean, hey, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad that I'm yours and you're mine. I'm really thankful to know that. But that's all the further I want to go. So turn away, Lord, turn away. And then she doubles down on it, this this phrase, rugged hills. In the English, be like a young stag on the rugged hills. In Hebrew, it's literally the mountains of Bether. Now, there's no mountain of Beether. You can go on the map. There's no literal mountain of Beether. It's a song. So, of course, they're using figurative language, right? But the word Beether in Hebrew, it means separation or gap. So it's pretty clear. Turn away and be like on the separate. You scamper away, Lord, and let's put some distance between us because you're, you're a little intense on me right now. I'm not used to such closeness, Jesus, see? So in other words, Jesus is inviting us out of hiding. He gently reassures us that our faces are lovely and our voices are sweet, and he genuinely wants to know you. But we're afraid, and so we turn him away. We turn him down. We try to keep a safe distance between us and Jesus. And isn't that really what religion does? Think about it. Religion enables us to have a sense of rightness with God without actually ever knowing him personally. I can, that's what it does. And like the woman in the song, we keep this safe gap between us and God. And this comes to our third point. To enjoy friendship with Jesus, to enjoy it, and really in any relationship, I need to make myself vulnerable. And this is terrifying. This is why we hide like a dove in the cleft of the rock, because I'm not so sure I want that. And it's why we settle for consumer-type relationships instead. In In a consumer relationship, I maintain control, and I can get out anytime I want to. In a covenant relationship, it's not so much. I'm in. I'm committed all the way. But you see, Jesus doesn't want to walk away. Jesus wants the covenant. So so what I love about Jesus is he commits to you and me before we commit to him. Isn't that amazing about him? Here's the thing about the Christian life. You mature and you grow at your own. Manipulate you, control you into doing what you need to do into compliance. You're the dove in the rock, and he invites you to come out. It's always an invitation from Jesus. You know, shame, that's the devil's game. Jesus doesn't play that game. Guilt, manipulation, like that's not Jesus. It always comes in the form of an invitation to you and to me. And if you accept the invitation, if you receive it and respond to it, awesome. There's more. You will know God in ways you never imagined. But if you do not, Rest assured, Jesus will not drag you out of hiding, kicking and screaming. He will continue to invite you. See, your maturity as a Christian will only go as far as your willingness to accept his invitations to take you further, to take you deeper. If you refuse, he won't push, but you won't grow. He's calling you from the cleft of the rock to come with him, And you can refuse to budge. But here's the thing. He loves you. Just know this. He's faithful to you. And he waits. And once in a while, we feel the distance. Do we not? Perhaps you're there this morning. You feel the distance. Jesus is not as close as you would like him to be. And this is what we find in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Chapter three comes to us as a, as a dream uh, sequence. Um, she says, all night long, oh, nope, I'm sorry, forgive me, that's chapter five. Chapter three, she says, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I, I looked for him but did not find him. I, I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. So you see, she realizes she misses him all night long on my bed. She's like, "What have I done? I, I sent him. I sent Jesus packing, and, and now." I want him back. I miss the closeness that we had, right? And she says, the watchman found her in verse three. We meet the watchman two times in the Song of Songs. And both times, the watchmen are a metaphor for her conscience. It's sort of, you can see how that would work. Doesn't doesn't your conscience sort of serve as a watchman? You know, you hear that voice in your head that says, "Um, don't do that right? It's, it's like the watchman. You're, you're, you've got the gatekeeper in your head, you know, in your heart telling you that's stupid. Don't go there, right? And so the same sort of idea. She has the, the watchman. Her conscience is stricken about the fact that she has created this separation between her and Christ, right? And so she's like, where can I find him? And when she finally repents of that, of t- sending him away, What happens? Verse four, I love the words. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. You see what happened? Jesus is faithful. He stays with you in me. You and I, we turn away. But like Robin noted in the the Psalms 23, surely goodness and mercy follow me. All the days of my life, he follows us. He never leaves us, nor does he forsake us, Scripture says. He's faithful all the way through. So that then the moment you and I repent and turn, he's right there. There's no need for you to come crawling back to Jesus. I know some people say, you know, I've got to get my stuff together. I've got a few things I have to work on before I can come to Jesus. No, you don't. Just turn. Just acknowledge. You know what? I blew it ask for forgiveness. He's right there. See? He, he never left you. You left him. That's how this works. And that's what she says scarcely had I passed him. And there he was. Oh, and then she grabs onto him and she doesn't want to let him go. And the rest of chapter three and all of chapter four depict a wedding and their wedding night. The rest of chapter three is a wedding with Solomon's marriage carriage coming up from the, and coming up from the wilderness, and Solomon, of course, is the male figure, so that represents Jesus in this you know, allegory. And then chapter four is their wedding night, and you look at how Jesus speaks to you and to me. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. I find verse 7 to be particularly stunning. Jesus says to you and to me, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. No flaw. But weren't we the ones that were just hiding in the cleft of the rock and sent Jesus away? And now Jesus looks at you and he says, there's no flaw. You're flawless. His grace and his mercy is absolutely Right? Because I I look at myself, I see the flaws. Amen. Don't you? I mean, my goodness, they're all over the Jesus. It's not obvious to you. No. When he sees us, he sees us through the eyes of the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. See? I see no flaw in you, right? It's beautiful. I'm forever amazed at his ability to restore and to put together the broken pieces of my life, making them better than before. Jesus, his grace, he knows how flaky you and I can be. And yet he loves us anyway. He's the rock. You and I are flaky. And he's steady with us all the time. He knows all the ways in which you will fail him in the future and he still has committed himself to you. Can you think of anyone else in your life that does that? Can you imagine yourself ever doing that? Would you ever enter into a friendship with somebody if you knew in advance all of the ways through the course of your time together that they would hurt you, disappoint you, come against you? I would never commit to a relationship like that. And yet, that's exactly the kind of relationship that Jesus has committed to with you and me, knowing all the ways that we will fail. And he still looks at you and says, you're flawless, even though he knows, even though we know how flawed we are. But you know, his invitation goes deeper. It doesn't stop right here. He never stops inviting us to go deeper. And that's what we see as we come into chapter 5. So come into chapter 5, and this is actually a dream sequence, as I said a moment ago. And we start with verse verse 2. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. So she hears Jesus knocking on the door of her heart. And Jesus is saying these words open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one, open to me. So he's coming again, and he's asking, open up. It's a similar sort of idea. In, the last, in chapter 2, we're the dove hiding in the cleft of the rock, and Jesus is wooing us out. And now in chapter 5, Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts. He's just changing the metaphor, but he's asking for the same thing. Let's, let's go deeper. Open up to me, he says. And well, we don't respond so well. Verse 3, she says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Now, in this context, reading it allegorically, the robe and the washing of feet represent the righteousness that's ours as Christians who have been forgiven by Christ. So when she says that she's taken off her robe, she's saying, you know, I've, I already have your forgiveness, and I appreciate that. I've already, you've already washed my feet. You've cleansed me, and I am so thankful for that. I'm resting in that. But I I don't really feel a need to go any further. In chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus continues, and I think this is interesting because, you know, our relationship with Jesus, we've, we've already gone through the wedding We've made a commitment to one another at some at this point, right? And so Jesus has really the permission to continue to pursue and to continue knocking. Verse verse four it says, "My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening, and my heart began to pound for him." So Jesus takes it a little bit a step further, a little more forcefully, if you will. And Jesus does this in our life. You know, if he invites you, and then you say no, you're distracted. You're just not paying attention. And then sometimes Jesus turns up the volume a little bit, doesn't he? I mean, if he can't get your attention this way, well, he'll get your attention that way. And if he can't get your attention that way, well, maybe we'll go this way. Jesus is constantly doing that in your life and mine. And we see that depicted here. And I love what he does in verse 5. She finally responds to him. I open up the door for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. You know, myrrh um, is a burial spice. Uh, The Bible tells us actually Jesus, when he was buried, they used myrrh to anoint his dead body in the grave. So it's a burial spice. Myrrh is a picture of Jesus' death for us. And it's as if Jesus is saying, you know, I have died for you. I have given my all to you. I've given everything I have to you. Now, when you're ready to to come away with me, I'm waiting for you. See, he hasn't, he's done it all. Literally, he's waiting for you and me to respond. And the myrrh on the door handle represents that. And here's the fourth point. Jesus made himself vulnerable to us. So he's literally allowed us to kill him. He's dying to know us, right? So what will it take for us to trust him? There's literally nothing else Jesus could do to demonstrate to you and to me how much he's in this with us, how much he's committed to a relationship with you. Like he's done everything everything and he's got the myrrh on the door handle waiting for us to respond so what do i do how do i overcome my fear my trepidation in order to trust jesus how do i do this well that's the rest the end of chapter five the way that i do that is this i reflect i meditate on the goodness, the wonder, the majesty of who Jesus is. And that inspires me to trust him. But see, this is the problem. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, like from the very first sin, the devil's always about casting a shadow of doubt over God's character in our lives. He did that in the garden, didn't he, with Eve? Did God really say that you can't do that with the fruit? Did you really say you would die? See, it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's enough to just undermine, just question the goodness of God, you see? And so the same thing's happening with you and me when we hesitate to trust. We, we, don't, we hesitate to trust because I, I'm not sure he's totally good. And so how do I combat that? Well, the only way to do it is to reflect upon his goodness. And to, and to let that sink its way into my heart. The more that I know how good he is, the more willing I am to trust him. And this is what she does at the end of chapter 5. I love how it works. In verse 9, her friends ask her, friends ask her how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? So they're like, oh, what's so special about that guy? That's the question. And she says, let me tell you what's special about that guy. And then verses 10 through 16, she lays it out. Now, I'd like to read it for us from the Passion Translation. Um, Here's what I like about the Passion Translation is they've translated the, the concepts from Hebrew into English. They haven't translated the literal words, right? So you and I sometimes get lost in the imagery because we're like, well, what are the, what's, the, you know, what's the dove in the cleft of the rock? I don't get the dove thing, right? So the imagery is confusing for us. And so what these guys have done is they've attempted to take the meaning of the imagery and put that into English, and that's your text. So I really like it because it just flows, okay? So I, I've got the words for you on the screen too, but I'll read them from here. But this is from the Passion Translation. These are your words to Jesus. Can you picture yourself saying these things to Jesus or saying these things about him? I can tell you that if you meditate on this, that this will strengthen you and give you the courage to trust him. Look at what she says about him. He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable. Without equal as he stands above all others. Outstanding among 10,000. The way he leads me is divine. His leadership so pure and dignified as he wears his crown of gold. Upon this crown are letters of black written on a background of glory. He sees everything with pure understanding. How beautiful his insights without distortion His eyes rest upon the fullness of the river of revelation, flowing so clean and pure. Looking at his gentle face, I see such fullness of emotion. Like a lovely garden where fragrant spices grow, what a man. No one speaks words so anointed as this one, words that both pierce and heal, words like lilies dripping with myrrh. See how his hands hold unlimited power, but he never uses it in anger, for he is always holy, displaying his glory. His innermost place is a work of art, so beautiful and bright. How magnificent and noble is this one, covered in majesty. He's steadfast in all he does. His ways are the ways of righteousness, based on truth and holiness. None can rival him, but all will be amazed by him. Most sweet are his kisses, even his whispers of love. He is delightful in every way and perfect from every viewpoint. If you ask me why I love him so, O oh, brides-to-be, it's because there is none like him to me. Everything about him, fills me with holy desire, and now he is my beloved, my friend forever. What I love about this is this gives me words to say to Jesus. I mean, do any of you ever talk to God? Is this how your prayer time goes? Yeah, mine neither usually, right? But that's what I love about this. Um, In in the fall, Robin and I are going to take us through the Psalms, and the Psalms are our words to God. The rest of the Bible is God's word to us. The book of Psalms are our words to God. They give voice to to the emotions and thoughts in our hearts that maybe we can't express always so well, and that's what's awesome about the Psalms. This the is same is true with the Song of Songs. When you when you read this, this gives some words, some language, right, for you to be able to express your feelings about Jesus. And I say, you read this over and over and over again. Say this about Jesus. Like speak this in prayer to Him. Reflect on how magnificent and noble and majestic and steadfast and holy and truthful and you know, meditate on these things about Jesus. You will find it easier and easier to trust him with everything. It's just the way that that works. The phrase from verse sixteen um, is interesting little phrase. In in, in uh, our NIV Bibles, verse sixteen says, "His mouth is sweetness itself. He is all." together lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. He's all together lovely. That phrase, all together lovely, in Hebrew, is an interesting little word. It means it's the word mahamadim. And in Hebrew, whenever you see I am at the end of a word, it almost always means that it's plural. So mahamadim is a plural word. And the word is desires, not desire. Jesus is not my desire. But Jesus is my desires. In other words, all of my desires are met in him. That's what it's saying. I I love that. He's altogether lovely. He's not just like lovely in one way and that satisfies this part of me. But he's altogether lovely, satisfying everything that I've ever looked for. Jesus is literally the one that our hearts long for. Every other longing is an echo of this one. And all of our desires are fulfilled in him ultimately. So why would I want to be content with a consumer kind of relationship with Jesus where the only thing he does is forgive me of my sins and I move on my merry way? Why would I just want that? Why would I settle for that? When I could have a covenant with him where I am his and he is mine. Try to, try to wrap your mind around that. You, you and me, having such a relationship with the creator of the universe. It's absolutely stunning. Go deeper, go for covenant, right? That's what Jesus wants. That's what he's dying to have with us. But you're afraid. I'm afraid. I get it. So can I ask you, um, from what you know of Jesus so far, do you trust him? I know you don't know everything, nor do I. I don't have all my questions answered about Jesus. So that's why we start here. Like, what you know of Jesus so far, do you trust it? Because that's where we begin, you see. At the heart of our Bibles, that's why we have the Song of Songs. Because at the heart of our Bibles, we find the heartbeat of God and we discover that it's beating for us. And when you the more you meditate and reflect on God's beating heart for you, the more you say, Oh Lord, I want you. I want to know you in this way. I'm not content with a shallow consumer kind of relationship with you, Jesus, where all you did was take my sins away, and that's it. But Jesus, I want more, I want everything. I want to know you intimately, and I want you to know me intimately. I trust you, Jesus, wholeheartedly trust you. Can I just uh, end this morning with a, a goofy little story while Karis plays here and closes us out? So this last week, so I've been shopping for a truck for the last couple of years, and um, this last week I thought I found one. So uh, I took it to my mechanic Um, to have him look at it for me. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about wisdom and many counselors, and so my mechanic is my counselor when it comes to vehicles. So I take it to him, and it was worth paying some money for him to inspect it for me. So he starts talking smack about this truck, and he advises me not to buy the truck. So I have to drive back to the car dealership, and when I pull into the car dealer, the salesman Comes out the front door and he is confident. I mean, he just, he's positive he has a sale. He, he's so, and he's so confident he cracks a joke. He's like, So, uh, I'm not charging you enough for this truck, am I? You want to pay me more for it now, don't you? Right? And I'm like, Actually, no, quite the opposite. I handed him the keys. I said, I don't want this truck. Can I tell you that I felt bad. Like there was something in me that felt like I was breaking up. There's something in me that felt like I was letting him down, like I was, you know, disappointing him. And and I, and it really bothered me. It actually bothered. Like I I was even tempted to go back and buy the truck just because I felt bad. <laughs> now you got to ask, how sick is that, right? What is wrong with me? that I'm actually thinking those kinds of thoughts. So then the next day I'm talking to Robin about it, and Robin had an insight that was just brilliant. He said this, he said, the reason why you feel this way is because in this relationship you're a consumer, but you want covenant. And, he, and he's right, you know, it's a consumer, this is a consumer relationship. I want a truck, you have a truck, I don't want that one. That's all the deeper our friendship goes. But there's something inside of me that wants more. And I feel like, oh, I have this connection, and now we're best friends, you know? And we're not. But the the truth is, that longing for covenant is inside of every one of you. Every one of us have that. And God created us with that. And He's the only one who can meet that ultimately. Because we were created for Him. See? For Him. And we'll never be at home until we're with Him in covenant relationship. And as long as we're apart from Him, we will keep searching for that in all kinds of weird ways some ways harmful toxic you know i i don't need to be friends with a used car salesman i have the god of the universe see but here's the deal as we've said that's risky it's frightening especially when I consider that God has done everything that he's done to have that with me. And I think he does that and he's done that in advance. It, God, God's a little intense, wouldn't you agree? God's like, you know what, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you right now. Okay, let's do it. He, before, before you're even here, he does that. You think, God's, that's a little um, intense. Yeah, he's that passionate for you. He's that passionate for you. And then you hear the way he talks to you in the Song of Songs. You're lovely, my darling. Beautiful you are. Flawless. On and on and on he goes. He gushes over you. And again, you think, Lord, I'm, I'm honored by that, but I'm also a little bit intimidated by that, God, that you would feel that strongly about me. Do you see what I mean? And so you and I are on that other side of the relationship, and we're saying, "Can I trust you? I, I need you. I want you. But can I? Can I? I don't know if I can do this." We're we're that we are the kid, you know. We're that we're, we're the eight-year-old kid on the high dive, wrestling with whether or not we want to jump. And Jesus is treading water, saying, "You can do this." Let's do it. And we're saying, I don't know. And you know in your heart of hearts, it'll be thrilling as soon as you jump. But man, those few seconds before you do are terrifying. That's where you and I are at in this relationship with Jesus. See? So That's what Jesus is constantly inviting us to do. Anytime he makes an invitation, it's an invitation to go deeper. And all of his commands are essentially an invitation to go deeper with him, to experience him in a deeper way. And you hear what Jesus says to you in chapter 2, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. In chapter 5, Jesus says, open to me, my darling, my dove, my flawless one, open to me. Jesus is inviting us. And this brings up my final point, And that's this, that you will not grow in relationship with Jesus past the point of the last invitation that he gave you. because that's partly how he grows us. He gives you an invitation, you accept it. He gives you another invitation, you accept it. Another invitation, you accept you're growing. And so if he's made this invitation and I've stonewalled him, then that's where I stop growing, see? So let me just uh, flesh this out for us and then we'll close and I'll pray. For some of us, this means accepting Jesus as your Savior like you have all these questions you have doubts about trusting him as your Savior and okay they're legitimate but it's an invitation and you won't go any further in knowing him until you accept that invitation to receive him as your Lord and your Savior to ask him to forgive you of your sins to cleanse you to make you right with God And you know that he's been asking you to do that. You know that he's been inviting you to do that. And you've thrown up roadblocks because you're afraid. So today is the day. Accept that invitation. For some of us, you already accepted that invitation. You're on the road with Christ. But he never stops inviting us. And and I know some of us, there are some of us that won't pray in in a group out loud because we feel so self-conscious and Jesus keeps asking he gives you opportunity to do that remember you won't grow unless you embrace what's hard right and so so for you you need to accept that invitation and I'm just going to lay it out for you this week when you're in life group pray out loud and your whole group will cheer for you it'll be a great moment you know, maybe, maybe it's tithing. I know people that wrestle with that for a long time before they actually do it. It's an invitation that Jesus makes. You're going to trust me. When you trust me, you'll see me provide in crazy ways. And we wrestle with it. Maybe that's, maybe that's where some of you are. Take the step. You know, maybe it's, I mean, you name it. Maybe it's breaking up with a, ending a dating relationship that's just not a good one. And that's hard. You think, God, I can't imagine doing that. And Jesus says, yeah, but you know that's not good for you, that one. I've got someone better for you. And you're having a hard time trusting that, see? Accept his invitation. Take his invitation, and you will see him provide. You will see him work. You see how that works? So now I'm just asking you, what invitation is it? Where, what is the last invitation that Jesus has made to you? And what's stopping you today from accepting it? Because today, I'm here to tell you that if you will accept that invitation, that will open up a door for you to begin experiencing Christ in ways that you did not know were possible before. That's how it works in the Christian life. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We hope that today's message was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org.